Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about Brez Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like lighter medium roast? Then try the Necro Medium Holy Grail Light or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roast, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. Forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our patrons, Tim Spivey, Donna Diamond, and Shannon Williams. Thanks so much for your continued contributions. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with the film commissioner of St. Petersburg, Clearwater, Florida, Tony Armour. And this was an interesting conversation to have because I've been wanting to learn more about the business and the logistics side of filmmaking, because as I've said before on the show, we talk about actors, directors, the, the, I don't want to say A-list, but the most known aspects of movies and TV, but there's a whole different side to it. So it was great getting to pick his brain about his career, what led him to become the commissioner of St. Petersburg Clearwater, what he's done uh, for that area, and also starting the Sunscreen Film Festival, which I've learned a thing or two about that with entering the Parker Syndrome in film festivals over the last couple of years. So it was great getting to pick his brain about that. I definitely want to have him back on the show to talk more about financials and other aspects of that nature. So Definitely look forward to having him back on the show, but had a great time chatting with him and hopefully you enjoy it as much as I had being a part of it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony Armour. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and this week I'm joined with the film commissioner for St. Petersburg Clearwater, Mr. Tony Armour. Tony, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Derek. Absolutely. I know we were we were kind of geeking out over our uh, our mutual love of Spider-Man uh, before we started. So I'm I'm excited to uh, to chat with you because I, I mentioned this to you before we started. Uh, I've been dabbling a little more into the business side. Of film because you know, a lot of people think of you know the actors, directors, screenwriters, the like the more I guess mainstream titles that people know of when it comes to film. But as, as someone who wants to work in film, and you know, I use this podcast for 
educational purposes, not just for myself, but the listeners as well. I thought you'd be the, the perfect guest to have on to, to talk about that. So I appreciate the time. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's something I, I talk to a lot of people. I feel like I do a lot of, you know, 15 minute business schools or the business of film conversations where people that's, that's something that people don't really understand how it works or know how it works. And to be honest with you, that should be one of the first things that they teach you in film school or when you're, you know, when you're starting out, because without the business side, there is no, you know, other side of actually making the film and doing everything else, because without the money to make the movie, you can't do anything. No, for sure. So talk to me a little bit about your background and what made you want to work in film, because I I say this pretty often on the show. No one really has a set path to get into film. Everybody has a unique story of how they wound up, you know, whether it's acting, directing, whatever the case may be. So uh, talk to me a little bit about your story and what made you want to get into filmmaking. Yeah. And that's the same thing I tell people as well. If they ask for advice and I sit down and have a coffee and you know, they want to know, well, how can I get started? What can I do? And I say, well, everybody's path is completely different. You know, I can lay out some things for you, but it's going to be up to you to kind of determine what that is for me. You know, as a kid growing up in Toledo, Ohio, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater when I was a kid. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, and, you know, it was really, really growing up. It was it was two things. I either wanted to be a college football coach and you know, I played football, you know, and um, or be involved in the film business. But, you know, when you're 5'10 and 165 pounds, a uh, college football career isn't uh, <laughs> necessarily in the cards. And you know, I really didn't get started until a little a little later on with sort of starting my film career. I I took some filmmaking classes actually in high school. I went to a big high school in Toledo, Ohio, and I took a class uh, that was a filmmaking class when we shot on Super 8 film. So, you know, that's a long time ago in the in the 80s, um, but actually shooting on film and stuff that I learned in that high school filmmaking class shooting Super 8, you know, stuff that I still, you know, you still use today kind of thing and then really you know took a couple of filmmaking classes in college but didn't really ever focus on it and then you know a whole move to Florida and a career basically as a as a retail district manager and sort of when that ended in you know 2000 ish that was um you know where I kind of was like you know if I, if I want to do this film thing now's the time to to give it a try and I'm giving you the very very short version of the story you know um and then just uh I started a little production company and I bought a, a really nice camera at the time. The Canon XL1 was, you know, sort of this top of the line, uh, top of the line digital video camera and started doing little commercials and stuff and doing short films and everything. And then one day after we made a few shorts and I was kind of, you know, doing some commercials and I had a, a business that I had gotten involved with called surgical videos where I was filming surgeries for doctors and attorneys in like personal injury cases. And I just kind of went to a couple of friends of mine and said, why, why are we making short films? Why don't we just, let's just make a feature, you know, like, no, let's not even bother with the short films anymore. Let's just make a feature film. If we don't have money, so what? We'll just get ourselves together and we'll, we'll make this thing. And this was, I think, 2004, maybe something like that. And so we shot a, a feature film um, called Mandatory Overtime. And it was a sort of a coming of age comedy. Uh, basically, this uh, group of uh, people that work in an office, but acted like they were still in high school in the 1980s. And, you know, sort of an office space meets better off dead kind of thing. And it was a lot of fun. And it's a terrible movie that um, hopefully no one has seen or will ever see. 
but you know, we spent $6,000 with a cast of 80 people making this movie and it was, it was film school, you know, learning how to make a feature film and we completed it. And then from there, it really was, well, now what, you know, now we got a feature film, but you know, no one's ever going to see this thing and it's never really going to get out there in the world. And, um, you know, so one of, uh, one of my friends, Derek Miner, who had worked on the project with me, I just said to him one day, it's like, Hey, you want to start a film festival? He's like, all right. And, you know, we kind of put our heads together and came up with the concept for the sunscreen film festival. And that was 17 years ago. We're going into our 17th year now in 2022 for the festival. And that's really what kind of kickstarted everything for me. You know, I, I didn't want to move to Los Angeles and I was like, well, how can I sort of, you know, get more involved in the film industry and people around the country, around the world without having to move to LA? Like, oh, if we do this film festival, then we can just bring all those people uh, to me. And so we just kind of got going from there. And since I produced that feature, you know, as soon as you, you make a feature film, I directed and produced that film, uh, people are kind of like, oh, you made a feature film? Will you help me, help me make my feature film? And, you know, once you've got that established, it's different from just doing a bunch of short films. Yeah, you've done a bunch of short films. But once you've made a feature, not a lot of people have done that. And so it just kind of grew from there. I started working on other people's projects and, you know, growing the film festival and growing my business more and doing more of my own projects. And meeting more people in the industry. And it was just this whole progression, um, you know, of my career, essentially. And then in 2014, you know, I'd been doing the festival at that point for 10 years, uh, or almost 10 years, done 10 festivals or something like that. And I had called the film commissioner here in uh, St. Pete Clearwater for something. And uh, she said, Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm retiring in a couple of months. And I just jokingly said, Oh, what do I have to do to get your job? And she said, Well, you applied for it, you'd probably be, probably be the one to get it. Cause you know, I'd established myself here uh, within the industry and, you know, 10 years of running the festival and again, producing award-winning documentaries and short films and other feature films and things like that. And became film commissioner in 2014. And here we are seven years later. We've done, done a lot in that, in that time frame. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's awesome. And the thing that really stands out to me as what you're saying is that, you know, even, Back then, when you first started your festival, you knew that you didn't want to move to Los Angeles because most of the guests that I talk to end up moving out to L.A. or somewhere in California. And yeah. now I feel like you don't necessarily have to because of technology, of you know, so many more means to put your film out there with YouTube, with Vimeo, uh, you know, so many other platforms. But you had that mentality back then which I feel like is almost unheard of in a way. So that that's, that's awesome. It's like, did you just enjoy the area so much that you knew you didn't want to leave it? Yeah. You know, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio and moved to Florida for, you know, the weather and to get away and just, you know, get kind of a fresh start kind of thing in my early twenties. And by that point, you know, when I started the film festival, I was 35 years old and I had a, a townhouse that I had bought, you know, and I had a job and um, I didn't want to have to uproot it all and start from scratch. You know, if I was 24 and doing it all over again, I already had my, you know, coming of age moment where I hopped on a motorcycle and left Ohio and drove to Florida and started a new life. I didn't want to do that a second time at, you know, 35 years old. If you're again, in your early twenties or something like that, that's, a, that's a different story. But by that point I had established myself a bit here with a lot of friends and stuff. And I just, I didn't want to make that, make that move and LA is super right. expensive. And now, like you said, with technology, not only do you not have to live in Los Angeles anymore, people are actively 
fleeing Los Angeles for other areas. I know plenty of people who have moved to Florida, some high level people within the entertainment industry who now live in this area and live in Florida in general, because you don't need to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've talked with, you know, those who live in LA as well as several people actually that have mentioned that they were looking to get out and move, you know, whether it's to Florida, I know Austin's blown up over the last couple of years. Um, I've talked with filmmakers in Memphis uh, in Atlanta. So you, you can really make a movie anywhere. And I, I think that's, it's really cool to see because, you know, I remember watching movies as a kid thinking, oh, well, if I ever wanted to do that, I'd have to go out to California because that's where I just assumed everything was made. But, you know, learned as I've gotten older that that's, that's not quite the case. Yeah. It, you know, what's interesting is that before tax incentives for film, you know, so Canada will blame Canada. They're the one who started this whole tax incentives for film kind of thing. Uh, before that, you know, it was California, New York, and then Florida was actually third in the country as far as film production goes. And if you wanted to work in the film industry, you really had to be in, you know, California or New York and, you know, Florida to a certain extent. But even though film tax incentives in states have caused, in my opinion, a lot of, you know, pain in the butt, uh, problems with the way production sort of chase these incentives around. It is also very much uh, democratized the industry in that you can live a lot of other places now and have a career in the film industry. You know, Georgia, you know, being a big one, or Louisiana, New Mexico now with everything they're doing in New Mexico. Ohio has a fabulous, you know, film incentive now. So you know, there's good and bad to everything, and that's one of the good things that those incentives have done is really you know, help develop the industry in other parts of the country. No, absolutely. So to backtrack a little bit, you knew that film was what you wanted to do. You went and made this feature film. At at what point did you start to realize how important the business side of the filmmaking industry is? You know, because we mentioned there's your actors, your directors, like the, the big name job titles, but there's producers. There's so many other jobs that go on behind the scenes to make movies happen. At what point were you exposed to that and realized its importance? Yeah, it was really after, uh, after made my first feature, uh, no name, no name actors, no name cast, no name myself, no name director. I'd still call myself no name director. I'm not exactly, you know, well-known around the world or anything like that. Uh, but you know, you make a film like that and then you realize now I don't know what to do with it. You know, how does this get out in the world? How does it, how do people see it? How does it make money? How do, you know, bigger productions make money? You learn how to make a movie, but then you never learn how to market it and sell it and, you know, finance proper films and all, you know, all the other things go along with it. So it was really at that point in time after that first feature that I discovered that and then started, you know, and then my background, my bachelor's is in business and my background in running, um, you know, businesses, it was sort of, it made sense then. And it was, it was good to have that background because that's what a producer is, is a, you know, a business manager basically and figuring out how to, how to make, you know, make the projects happen and, you know, get out in the world. No, for sure. And it's something that, you know, I've been learning uh, as well, as far as, you know, cause I, I made my first short a couple of years ago and then when it was finally finished, then I realized, okay, well, what do I do to get it out there? And that's when I, discovered film freeway and started submitting it to festivals and everything. And I've had the chance to, to go to a few festivals myself. And I I tell filmmakers that it's festivals are very invaluable 
because you get your work out in front of a completely different audience and you also get the networking aspect. Yeah. And this was all pre-COVID, but still going to a festival, even if it's, you know, a several hour drive, it's worth it to get those networking opportunities because you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah, I, I tell people that film festivals are probably the number one thing that you can do to help your career uh, from a perspective of meeting people and networking, even if you don't have a film playing in a festival, just going and meeting the people that are at those festivals. You know, Sunscreen is a perfect example. Again, we're going into year 17 now. And the number of people that, you know, when you're at a festival, you, you meet someone, you talk to someone, you end up working with that person or those people on your next project or, you know, kind of putting a team together or you're meeting somebody that works in the distribution side of the business and someone who works in the marketing side of the business and, you know, whatever it might be, it's, it's the most valuable thing that you can do to help further your career is going to film festivals. Was that something you knew when you started your uh, sunscreen film festival? No, was that something that you no learned idea. along the way. <laughs> I learned, I learned it a lot. I learned it all. The funny thing was prior to, Prior to starting the Sunscreen Film Festival, I think I might have only been to one film festival in my life. And, you know, I really didn't know much about, about them at all, other than, you know, what you read and saw and things like that. And then after starting it and doing it, then starting to go to other festivals, you just, you know, you learn along the way. Um, and then you really realize really quickly, obviously it makes a big difference if it's your festival, you're meeting everybody that comes, but then when you go to other festivals, it's just, again, to me, the most valuable thing you can do in the industry is attending festivals because everybody's all in one place at one time. You know, if you're just at home or if you're even, you, let's say you move to Los Angeles, well, how are you going to meet people in the industry when you're in LA? You know, you don't just walk up to strangers on the street or in coffee shops and be, Hey, how are you? What do you do in the film industry? Are you in the film industry? You know, how do you start? meeting those people do you go to networking groups you know what what is that and really that's what film festivals are and that's how you get yourself established for sure uh, talk to me a little bit about the process of running a film festival so you decide that you're going to start one where did you go from there and how has how what you've learned evolved and what all of you incorporated in years since since you started the festival <laughs> that's a really big, long, uh, possible, you know, answer to that question. But, um, you know, it's obviously uh, a team of people that we have that, you know, puts the festival on. We have, you know, somewhere between 700 and 1,000 films that get submitted every year. And you have to have a team of people watching that and a great programming team. And, um, you know, sort of really it's my, my business background and just being as organized as, as possible, you know, and doing things in as much in advance as possible. You know, I've seen a lot of poorly run film festivals and I've seen a lot of very well run film festivals and organization is, is really always the key. Um, God, there's so much to learn from, you know, year one to year 17, it's hard to even, hard to even describe it all. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good, ex it's a good experience. And like I said, I don't even know if I could, you know, give you any one particular thing other than you know, just be as organized as possible, start trying to raise the money as early as possible as you can for a festival. And that's maybe that's the number one thing is that it's really, really hard to keep a festival going on a year to year basis. It's very difficult because they don't make money. It's not a money making venture at all. You know, Sunscreen's a nonprofit organization. Most film festivals are nonprofits. If they're not nonprofits, you know, and they're for business ventures, 
they're still really, you know, they're not money making ventures by, by any means, you know, if anything, Ed, when you're starting a festival up and putting money into it, I've, I've put more money into the festival, you know, you know, on credit cards and everything else to keep it running than, you know, than anything. And so it really takes a dedicated group of people and a group of volunteers, people who are willing to volunteer their time and, you know, not make any money to, to make the thing, thing happen. So it's really a, you know, a passion, you know, project for, uh, for myself and for everyone, everyone involved. But I can imagine you get volunteers to work the festival. It's almost the same as if you're doing a film as, you know, a passion project, if you're doing a short or if it's a feature and you're not, if you're not able to pay, you know, like the crew or the actors, but if you, if you see a group of people become as invested as you are in executing, you know, in your case, the, the festival, I imagine it has to be a pretty rewarding experience. Yeah, it's great. You know, and that's one of the things that we provide for the volunteers is kind of access. You know, if you wanted to buy a, an all access ticket for all four days of the festival to be able to come to all the parties and films and workshops and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's $150. It's like, or you can volunteer for, you know, three shifts throughout during the festival and you get uh, an all access pass because you volunteered, you know, sort of that's the payment, you know, that's the currency is the all access pass that you don't have to pay for because you volunteered to work during the festival. And so that's, that's a good trade off. And it's a good way for people to be able to be there. And again, one year volunteer, it's really easy to meet people as well. And so you can, you know, meet more people at the festival too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about is it's all about networking. You know, I say the same thing. If anyone wants to work on a set, work on a set as a PA, because you yeah. get to really observe how things work. You can watch the director work with the actors. You can watch, you know, the DP set up the camera and just lights and everything like you, you really get to see everything. And I can imagine the same as with the festival is seeing kind of how things are run. You get to watch all the films, you get to see, you know, how they turn out, watch the interaction, the networking and everything. I, I, I can imagine it's the same as in a way of being on a set. Yeah. And that's always what I tell people too. You know, when someone's first starting out, I was like, volunteer, you know, volunteer to be a PA on a, on a short film. And if you do a good job from that short film, you know, they'll ask you to work on the next project, you know, be a PA on uh, an independent feature film. And then they'll ask you to be, you know, there's to be on the next film. There's a couple of college students that um, I had put together with a, with a couple of projects recently and they you know were volunteer PAs on these films and then got hired onto the next feature film that was shooting because they had worked on the other one as a, as a, as a PA volunteer basically. So you know you've got to start out you know not making any money at first but, but meeting people and you know showing you've got a good work, work ethic and showing what you can do on set and then you get hired uh, you know as you move along. And people may not think of it, but there is a, a pay it forward type of mentality in the film industry, because, you know, I mentioned my short film that I did a couple of years ago. I had um, a, a local filmmaker here who just out of the blue volunteered to be a grip on it. He was only mm -hmm. available for one day, but then months later he directed his film. And then, you know, I reached out to him and was more than happy to help him out because he helped me. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a hundred percent how it's going to work. You know, if you've got 10 people volunteering to work on a short film, then, you know, when one of those people makes another project then those 10 volunteer there. And then, so everybody pays it forward. You, you know, I'll volunteer on your film, you volunteer on my film and then, you know, everybody gains experience. And then as you move up in the industry and people, you know, work on paying jobs, then you hire the people that you, uh, you like to work with. Absolutely. 
something else I'm curious about with your festival specifically, uh, we obviously had the COVID-19 pandemic happen last year. How did that affect your filmmaking career and the festival itself? Well, I've heard come a couple perspectives. So I'll uh, I'll start with the festival and I'll talk about how it's sort of affected the industry here in Florida and locally from the film commission perspective. So, you know, we take place, sunscreen takes place at the end of April every year. So, you know, 2020 in March, everything shuts down. Well, at that point, you know, we were only six weeks away from the film festival and everything was paid for. Like everything was ready to go, you know, organized, all set, theaters paid for, everything's good to go. And obviously we couldn't do the festival at that point, theaters were closed. So we just kind of, you know, put everything on hold and waited for AMC theaters to reopen. You know, when they officially reopened, I think in July of 2020, we just kind of, you know, said, all right, maybe let's try this in September. You know, a lot of festivals went virtual, but we had already paid for everything to be a physical festival. And so we said, you know, let's do this in September. If nobody shows up, it is what it is, uh, but let's have the festival happen and move forward. And, you know, theaters were open. And so we were able to actually have the festival. It was lightly attended, as you can imagine, you know, in September of 2020, you know, that was before the vaccine rollout and everything. Um, and so we, we did a, we did the festival, we, did, we didn't miss, didn't miss a year, didn't miss 2020, did a physical festival in 2020. And then 2021, April, you know, by the end of April of 2021, we did our normal festival just as we would have done in any other year. And ticket sales wise and the number of attendees wise was this far off, you know, this far off from 2019. So everybody at that point was, you know, ready to go and go to a festival. We had 100 filmmakers travel in from around the country and around the world. We had people, uh, filmmakers fly in from Colombia, um, trying to think where else, but, uh, but so, you know, we did, we didn't miss a beat. We just kind of stayed the course and kept everything going and did everything we, we could. And, uh, and it, and it went really well. Now from an industry perspective, you know, it had a big, had a big effect in 2020 because everything was shut down. Nobody was shooting anything. The film industry, you know, didn't really know what policies and procedures they were going to do. How do you get back to work? And it was a matter of, you know, the unions sort of deciding what they needed to do and what were the, the things that they had to do as, you know, SAG and IATSE and DGA and all those. And, um, but once we started to get into the later part of 2020, October, November, things really started picking up again. The commercial industry is huge here in the Tampa Bay area. A ton of, you know, commercial productions happen here. And, and the feature films now have started to come back as well. You know, we just had independent feature film called A Taste of Love, which is like a family-friendly romantic comedy that uh, that shot in July. The Hallmark Channel film shooting right now that wraps up at the end of this week here. And I've got probably four other feature films that are looking to shoot here, you know, in the next, in the coming months or so. So people are kind of, you know, full back to work and know what regulations and things that you have to do on set to be safe and, you know, kind of, you know, jamming basically. That's awesome. And as someone who also lives in Florida, it makes me happy to hear that films are actually being shot here. So. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I'd say that the, the industry is, is full back. We will probably this year, you know, 2021, you know, the way, the way we, the way we work, we're part of the tourism office for St. Pete Clearwater. So part of visit St. Pete Clearwater and our fiscal year runs October 1st to September 30th. So our fiscal year that ends September 30th, we will either match or beat 
our numbers as far as number of productions permitted in this area that we did in 2019. And 2019 was a record year. So 2021 may be a record year for the number of productions actually shooting shooting here. That's awesome. And I, I think, you know, we see it all over the country. I think people are, yeah. are ready to, you know, just kind of get back to some type of normalcy. You know, I've seen it with, you know, the minor league baseball team that I, I work for. We had record number of ticket sales this year because people were, because yeah. we, because we didn't have a season in 2020. So right. I think people are just ready to go out and do something. Filmmakers are ready to get back out and, and do work. So that's yeah. awesome. And I think, I think that's, you know, everybody, you know, I, again, working for the tourism office, I see the numbers, uh, the hotel stays and the number of people visiting the state of Florida, it's going to be a record year in 2021. The, the, the amount that hotels are charging because they're charging crazy rates right now. And the mm-hmm. occupancy of like being at near 100% occupancy, you know, is, um, you know, is going to beat 2019, which was a record year. So 2021 is going to set records for the, you know, for hotels, stays and everything here in, uh, in Pinellas County, at least. And I know in most other parts of Florida, too. No, oh, fantastic. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask you, uh, despite that you're, you know, the film commissioner, are you still an active writer, director, filmmaker? And if so, do you have any projects that you have coming up? Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, there are certain things that I can and can't do. I get a lot of people that ask me if I can help them produce their project or work on their project. And I'm like, eh, not really. I can't really do that as, you know, film commissioner, but there are things that I can do myself, you know, cause I am a, I am a filmmaker and you know, that doesn't stop when I, when I become film commissioner. So I've had, um, a couple of short documentaries that I've done over the last, uh, the last couple of years that have gone out and played a bunch of film festivals and won awards. And, um, and I have projects, you know, I have a, I have a screenplay that I wrote. This is a project I started working on way many, many years ago, like literally 2003. And it's gone through a lot of iterations as being a TV series and we pitched it to Amazon and other places to now being an independent feature film. And that screenplay actually was a uh, top 5% finalist in ScreenCraft's action screenplay competition. And ScreenCraft's widely considered one of the top three screenplay competitions in the world. Um, and so I've got that particular project that, uh, you know, we're kind of is in, is in development and we're seeing what we can make happen with that. I can't give away too many uh, too many secrets on that right now, but yes, I still, I still love to, you know, be involved and make projects. And, and I really, as film commissioner, I kind of treat it as a producer and try and, you know, help projects get produced here and, and take it from that perspective to, to make things happen. And some, some cool things that we've done is, you know, we have a couple of projects that we've essentially created as tourism films for the area. There's a project on Amazon uh, Prime Video called Life's Rewards. And it's a, it's a series on Amazon. And we made this in partnership with Visit Florida and uh, Miles Partnership, which is a, a tourism you know, video production company. And it's, it is essentially, it's a, it's a narrative show. It's like a, you know, a little comedy series, but it all takes place here in St. Pete Clearwater and it promotes the entire area by showing the beautiful locations and destinations and kind of, so making this narrative content that also doubles as sort of a tourism video for the area. So we just have a, that feature film that I mentioned, A Taste of Love, you know, that starred um, Martin Cove, where everybody knows from Cobra Kai and Karate Kid is, you know, a sensei mm-hmm. priest, you know, sweep the leg, Johnny. And uh, Aaron Cahill, who's a big Hallmark Channel star, and then uh, Jesse Cove, uh, who played the male lead, you know, we shot this romantic comedy feature film, but 
it highlights Dunedin beautifully, it highlights the area beautifully. And so it's a, it's a commercial, it's a postcard for this area while also being a feature film that's gonna get wide distribution around the world at the same time. So those are you know, other little things that I like to do or that we're doing as a, as a film commission and sort of as a producer part of, you know, producer slash film commissioner to create this, this uh, content for our area. Absolutely. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you have uh, to an aspiring filmmaker? Uh, just keep making stuff, you know, keep making stuff and go meet people, go attend film festivals, you know, go to conferences and, you know, just, just keep, you know, keep doing things. You'll see a lot of people like, I want to be a filmmaker. Like, well, what are you working on right now? Well, I'm not working on anything right now. Well, then you're not, you don't want to be a filmmaker because <laughs> you're not doing anything. You know, you got to do something if you want to, uh, you know, want to, you want to actually do it. So even if it's little short films, keep making, you know, not saying everybody's got to go out and make a, you know, a feature film uh, for no money, um, but you just got to keep doing stuff and you have to meet people in the industry and keep finding ways to progress, you know, and always be willing to say, yes, somebody asks you to work on a project, you know, and you got to work for free or, you know, very little money. You don't know who you're going to meet on that project that could take you on to that next project or you, or what you'll learn on that project. You'll learn not just what to do, but what, what not to do, you know, in working on projects as well. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. So I have to ask you this because I mentioned before we started the conversation, we were talking about Spider-Man, how we're both yeah. mutual fans. Yeah. What what to you is the best Spider-Man movie that's been made? Uh, you know, I still really like the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man from 2001. I mean, go back and watch that movie. What a great film that was. And that is, you know, from, you know, X-Men 1999 and that Spider-Man movie. Those are the two films that launched this comic book era of, of films that's taking place right now. Without those two films, there would be no MCU because before no one had ever made a lot of money or made, you know, successful big budget superhero films. And so, you know, from a business perspective, you know, I love, I love that one, but I also think from a story perspective, that one's really, really great as well. And, you know, the most recent, you know, the, the new, Spider-Man film, the original, you know, Spider-Man home, Homecoming. Was homecoming, homecoming yep. first, yeah. Homecoming was the first one. That one's great too. You know, I love I loved that that one, that they just jumped right in. No origin story. Everybody knows who Spider-Man is. You don't need to tell the origin story. Everybody knows he was bitten by a spider. Just Peter Parker, Spider-Man, go. And I love that one. So to me, those are, you know, those are 1A and 1B for, uh, for the Spider-Man films. Yeah, the I remember when the original Spider-Man came out with Tobey Maguire. That's one of my favorite movie-going experiences of all time because yeah. I was, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and my uncle came to pick me up from school, and we went straight to. Um, at the time, I lived about an hour away from Pensacola, where I currently live, and a new movie theater had just opened up, and we went to like the three thirty, like three forty-five showing. There were two seats left in the theater and, and we got them yeah and, and i still remember like watching that on the screen you like it was yesterday so i i like that choice i i, I have a soft spot for those movies oh yeah no those those are great you know he's you know spider-man is you know probably the most well-known most well-known of the mcu you know of any marvel character yeah and you could put it right out you could put spider-man right up there with Superman, Batman, when it comes to recognizability, nobody knew who, nobody knew who Iron Man was when they made that Iron Man movie in 2008, 
know, some people you kind of knew is like Iron Man. That's is that a Marvel comic book kind of thing? Uh, us, you know, comic nerds were super excited yeah. for that. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, Spider Man. You know, I have I have more Spider Man back here than than just about anything else. That's fantastic. Uh, final question before we get out of here: Do you have any website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Uh, sure. You know, my website super easy: TonyArmor.com. There's, you know, not a ton of stuff on there. Just kind of here, here's who I am and here's what I do. Um, Instagram, just Tony Armor. And I don't really do Twitter. Uh, Twitter is a, is a hive of scum and villainy. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's two, I just can't go on there and list, look at people yell at each other, you know, endlessly. Um, but uh, yeah, Instagram is, uh, is easy enough. And I'll post behind the scenes pictures from, you know, different projects I'm working on or, you know, when I'm at the Cannes Film Festival or other film festivals or just, you know, random pictures of my dog and, uh, and the pineapple that I grew recently, you know, just whatever. So that, yeah. if that interests, if that interests you at all, you can you can find me there. Or, you know, the St. Pete Clearwater Film Commission is at Film St. Pete Clearwater on um, on Instagram and uh, St. Pete Clearwater Film Commission on Facebook, which we actually do post uh, casting calls and crew calls and um, information about the local industry on the, on the Facebook page regularly. So if that's something you're interested in. You can go there or our film commission website, just filmstpclearwater.com. And then I suppose I might as well mention sunscreenfilmfestival.com as well. And at sunscreen FF St. Pete for uh, sunscreen on Instagram too. We're, we're accepting film submissions right now for the 2022 festival. So now through January, we'll be accepting films for the 17th annual festival at the end of April, 2022. It'll coming fast. Absolutely. Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. This was great. Yeah, thanks, Derek. It was fun. Anytime. Reach out, reach out again if you uh, want to chat, chat some more. Thanks again to Tony Armour for that awesome conversation. Be sure to follow him on social media and check out his website, TonyArmour.com, to find out what he'll be up to next. For next week's show, I'll be speaking with screenwriter and script consultant Howard Kasner, and I'll also be appearing next week on his show, The Pop Art Podcast, which I'll talk more about on next week's show. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could, please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D-Diamond Podcast. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want early access to episodes, Vote on show topics such as the monthly top five list, which will be returning next week with top five 90s Nickelodeon cartoons. That's going to be such a fun discussion. I was a huge Nickelodeon fan as a kid, so that one is going to be a lot of fun to go back and visit. So if you want to be able to vote on things like that, uh, access to the monthly watch-along shows that I do, just head on over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.